Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. I just want to tell you one thing. Are you ready? You're a serial kid, right? Mm-hmm. I was a serial kid too, and I grew up loving cereal. But it's like so unhealthy, and it's so sugary, and so bad for you, right? Mm-hmm. Guess what I just got today? Hmm. Magic spoon. Magic spoon. Oh, actually, you get a free mag. You got a free literal magic spoon in there. Where's the magic spoon? It's cereal. And they, like, kind of do copycat cereal of, like, sugary cereals, but it has no sugar in it. But they taste... Oh, my God, my mouth is watering. Literally, I want more. I literally had two bowls of it for for dinner. I had the peanut butter one. My mouth is literally watering. Okay, more. Anyways. So what is it? It's cereal. But it's, like, cereal that has no sugar in it, so it's, like, not that not unhealthy for you. And I got you the... It's, like, a Fruit Loop one. Okay, I'll and I try got, it. I got a cookie cookies and cream one. I keep hearing like all of these ads and I'm like okay that's it I'm ordering it. My mouth is freaking watering. I want, I, I'm not even hungry and I want that's another That's so not fair. Every time you see something you want you're like ooh ordering it and I keep seeing slime videos and I have to suffer. I know honestly being an adult is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not fair. It's, it's not fair. I, well you know what if you save your money and you have a good job you can order stuff all the time if you want it to i can't order all the stuff i want but like food cereal you know it's like not that big of a deal we don't even have a lot of money but yet you're spending money on sugarless free um cereal listen that's what i choose to spend my money on you would rather do that instead of buying food for the family that is food for the family. Magic spoon is food for the family. <laughs> okay, ready? Breakfast. <laughs> I'm probably not going to have it. Magic spoon should sponsor us, huh? That means we get free cereal. Okay. Okay, anyways. Okay. All right, whatever. Chapter four. Book the fifth. Okay. If you have walked into a museum recently, whether you did so to attend an art exhibit ex- exhibition, oh my God, Exhibition? Yeah, okay. Art exhibition or to escape from the police, you may have noticed the type of painting known as a triptych. Interesting. A triptych is a three has three panels with something different painted on each panel. For instance, my friend Professor Reed made a triptych for me, and he painted a fire on one panel panel, a typewriter on another and a face of a beautiful, intelligent woman on a third. The triptych is entitled, What Happened to Beatrice? And I cannot look upon it without weeping. I am a writer, and I am not a painter. But if I were to try and paint a triptych entitled The Baudelaire Orphans, Miserable Experiences at Proofrock Prep, I would paint Mr. Romera on one panel, Miss Bass on another, and a box of staples on the third, and the results would make me so sad that between Beatrice triptych and the Baudelaire triptych, 
I would scarcely stop weeping all day. Mr. Romero was Violet's teacher, and he was so terrible that Violet thought that she'd almost rather stay in the orphan shack all morning and eat her meal with her hands tied behind her back rather than hurry to the room or hurry to room one and learn from such a wretched man. Mr. Ramora oh, sorry, had a dark and thick mustache as if somebody had chopped off a gorilla's thumb and stuck it above Mr. Ramora's lip. And also like a gorilla, Mr. Ramora was constantly eating bananas. Bananas are fairly delicious and contain a, uh, contain a healthy amount of potassium. But after watching Mr. Romero shove a banana after banana into his mouth, dropping banana peels on the floor and smearing banana pulp on his chin and his mustache, Violet never wanted to see another banana again. In between bites of banana, Mr. Romero would tell stories and tell the and the children would write in the sto- write the stories down in the notebooks. And every so often there would be a test. The stories were very short, and there were a whole lot of them in every conceivable subject. One day, I went to the store to purchase a carton of milk, Mr. Romero would say, chewing on a banana. When I got home, I poured the milk into a glass and drank it. Then I watched television, the end. Or, one afternoon, a man named Edward got into a green truck and drove to a farm. The farm had geese and cows, the end. Mr. Romero would tell story after story and eat banana after banana, and it would get more and more difficult for Violet to pay attention. The things To make things better, Duncan sat next to Violet, and they would pass, they would pass notes to one another on particularly boring days. But to make things worse, Carmelita Spat sat right behind Violet, and every few minutes she would lean forward and poke Violet with a stick she had found on the lawn. Orphan, she would whisper, and poke Violet with a stick, and Violet would lose her concentration and forget to write down some detail of Mr. Romero's latest story. Across the hall, in room two, was Klaus's teacher, Mrs. Bass, who wore bla- whose black hair was so long and messy that she... <sighs> That she vaguely resembled a gorilla. That she also vaguely resembled a gorilla. Miss Bass was was a poor teacher. A phrase here which does not mean a teacher who does not have a lot of money. But a teacher who is obsessed with the metric system. The metric system, you probably know, is a system in which the majority of the world measures things. Just as, if, just as it is perfectly alright to eat a banana or two, it is perfectly alright to be interested in measuring things. Klaus could remember a time when he was about eight years old when he had measured the width of all of the doorways in the Baudelaire mansion when he was bored one rainy afternoon. But rain or shine, all Mrs. Bass wanted to do was measure things and write down the measurements on the chalkboard. Each morning she would walk into room two carrying a bag full of ordinary objects and a frying pan a picture frame, a skeleton of a cat, and place an object on each student's desk. Measure, Mrs. Bass would shout out, and everybody would take out their rulers and measure whatever was on their whatever it was that their teacher had put on their desks. 
They would also call out the measurements to Mrs. Bass, who would write them on a bo- on the board, and then everyone, everybody switched objects. The class would continue in, on in this way for the entire morning, and Klaus would feel his eyes glaze over. The phrase glaze over here means ache slightly out of boredom. Across the room, Isadora Quagmire's eyes were glazing over too, and occasionally the two of them would look at one another and stick their tongues out as if to say, Miss Bass is terribly boring, isn't she? But Sonny, instead of going into a classroom, had to work in the administrative building, and I must say that her situation was perhaps worse in the entire tri- triptych, in the entire triptych. As Vice Principal Nero's secretary, Sonny had numerous duties assigned to her that were simply impossible for a baby to perform. For instance, she was in charge of answering the telephone, but people who called Vice Principal Nero did not always know that Stelptia was Sonny's way of saying good morning, and it is Vice Principal Nero's office. May I help you? But by the second day, Nero was furious at her for confusing so many of his business associates. In addition, Sonny was in charge of typing, stapling, and mailing all of Vice Principal Nero's letters, which meant she had to work a typewriter, a stapler, and stamps, all of which were designed for adults to use. Unlike many babies, Sunny had some experience and hard work. After all, she and her siblings had worked from time to time at the Lucky Smells Lumber Mill, but this equipment was simply inappropriate for such tiny fingers. She could scarcely move the typewriter's keys, and even when she even when she could, she did not know how to spell the words and the words Nero dictated. She never used a stapler. She never used a stapler before, so she sometimes stapled her fingers by mistake, which which hurt quite a bit. And occasionally, one of the stamps would stick to her tongue, and it wouldn't come off. In most schools, no matter how miserable, the students have a chance to recuperate during the weekend when they can rest and play instead of attending a wretched class, and the Baudelaire orphans looked forward to taking a break from looking at bananas, rulers, and secretary supplies. So they were quite distressed on Friday when the quagmires informed them that Proofrock Prep did not have weekends. Saturday and Sunday were regular school days, supposedly in keeping with the school's motto. This rule did not really make any sense. After all, it's just as easy to remember that you'll die when you're relaxing as it is when you're in school. But that was the way things were, so the Baudelaire's could never remember exactly what day it was. So repetitive was their schedule. So I am sorry to say that I cannot tell you what day it was when Sunny noticed that staple supply was running low, but I can tell you that Nero informed her that informed her that because she had wasted so much time learning to be a secretary, he would not buy her any more when they ran out. Instead, Sunny would have to make staples herself out of something out of some skinny metal rods Nero kept in a drawer. That's ridiculous, Violet cried when Sunny told her of Nero's latest demand. It was after dinner that the Baudelaire orphans were in the orphan shack with with the quagmire triplets, sprinkling salt at the ceiling. 
Violet had found some pieces of metal behind the cafeteria and had fashioned five pairs of noisy shoes. Three for the Baudelaire's and two for the Quagmire's so that the crabs wouldn't bother them when they visited the orphan shack. The problem of the tan fungus, however, was yet to be solved. With Duncan's help, Klaus had found a book on fungus in the library and had read that salt might make this particular fungus shrivel up. The quagmires had distracted some of the mask uh, some of the masked cafeteria workers by dropping their trays on the ground and while Nero Nero yelled at them for making such a mess, the Baudelaire's had slipped three salt shakers into their pockets. Now, in the brief uh, in the brief recess after dinner, the five children were sitting on bales of hay, trying to toss salt into the fungus and taking talking about their days. It certainly is ridiculous, Klaus agreed. It is silly enough that Sunny has to be a secretary, but making her own staples, I've never heard of anything so unfair. I think staples are made in a factory, Duncan said, pausing to flip through his green notebook to see if he had any notes on the matter. I don't think people have made staples by hand since the 15th century. If you could snitch some of that, if you could snitch some of that skinny, the skinny metal rob, Sonny, Isadora said, we will all help you make staples after dinner time. If five of us work together, it would be much less trouble. And speaking of trouble, I'm working on a poem about Count Olaf, but I'm not sure I know words that are terrible enough to describe him. I... And I imagine it's difficult to find words that rhyme with Olaf, Violet said. It is difficult, Isadora admitted. All I can think of so far is pilaf, which is kind of a rice dish. Maybe it's more half rhyme anyways. Maybe someday you'll be able to publish your poem about Count Olaf, Klaus said, and everyone will know how horrible he is. And I'll write a newspaper article all about him, Duncan volunteered. I think I could be... I think I could build a printing press myself, said Violet. Maybe when I come of age, I can use some of the Baudelaire fortune to buy the materials I would need. Could we print books too, Klaus asked. Violet smiled. She knew that her brother was thinking of the whole library that they could print for themselves. <sighs> Book, books too, she said. The Baudelaire fortune, Duncan asked. Did your parents leave behind a fortune too? Our parents owned the famous quagmire sapphires, which were unharmed in the fire. When we become of age, those precious jewels will belong to us. We could start our printing business together. Well, that's a wonderful idea, Violet cried. We could call it Quagmire Baudelaire Incorporated. We could call it Gra- Quagmire we could call it Quagmire Baudelaire Incorporated. The children were so surprised to hear the sneering voice of Vice Principal Nero that they dropped their salt shakers on the ground instantly. The tiny crabs, the tiny crabs in the orphan shack, picked them up and scurried away with them before Nero could notice. I'm so sorry to interrupt you in the middle of your important business meeting, he said, although the youngsters could see that the Vice Principal wasn't sorry one bit. 
The new gym teacher has arrived and he was interested in meeting our orphan population before the concert began. Apparently orphans have an ex have excellent bone structure or something. Isn't that what you said, Coach Gingis? Uh, oh, yes. A tall, skinny man who stepped forward to reveal himself to the children. The man was wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt, such as gym teachers might wear. On his feet were some expensive-looking running shoes with high, very high tops around his neck was a shiny silver whistle. Wrapped around the top of his head was a length of a cloth secured to a place with a shiny red jewel. Such things are called turbans and are worn by some people for religious reasons. But Violet, Klaus, and Sunny took one look at this man and knew that he was wearing a turban for an entirely different reason. Oh, yes, the man said again. All orphans have perfect legs for running, and I couldn't wait to see the specimens that were waiting for me in this shack. Children, Nero said, get off of your hay and say hello to Coach Genghis. Hello, Coach Genghis, Duncan said. Hello, Coach Genghis, Isadora said. The quagmire triplets shook Coach Genghis's bony hand and then turned and gave the Baudelaire's a confused look. They were clearly surprised to see the three siblings still sitting on the haystack and staring at Coach Genghis rather than obeying Nero's orders. But I had been there in the orphan if but had I been there in the orphan shack, I most certainly would not have been surprised, and I would bet what happened to Beatrice, my prized triptych, that you had been there that had you been there, you would not have been surprised either, because you have probably guessed that the Baudelaire's, as the Baudelaire's guessed, why the man who was calling himself Cat Coach Genghis was wearing a turban. A turban covers people's hair, which can alter their appearance quite a bit. As if the turban is so, and if the turban is arranged as so it hangs down rather low, as this one did, the folds of the cloth, it can even cover the eyebrows, or in this case, eyebrow of the person wearing it but it cannot cover someone's shiny shiny eyes or the greedy and sinister look that someone might have in their eyes when that when that person looks down at three relatively helpless children what what the man who was calling himself coach Genghis said about all orphans having perfect legs for running was utter nonsense of course but as the Baudelaire's looked at their new gym teacher they wished that it wasn't nonsense. As the man who called himself Count Coach Genghis looked back at them with his shiny, shiny eyes, the Baudelaire orphans wished more than anything that their legs could carry them far, far away from the man who was really Count Olaf. Are you asleep, Pei? Yep, she's sleeping.